This whole thing that I'm about to say is built around this idea, right? Esther was at the RYM seminars from this summer and maybe some of y'all were too. And uh, it's really hard to condense that down into like one, you know, kind of 45 minute thing, but here we go. Um, None of what I'm gonna say is original, really. Um, A lot of it comes from this book called You Are Not Your Own. It's written by a guy named Alan Noble. Um, On the back of your handout on the last page, there's a a list of further reading. If this stuff, um, if you like it, you know, if this interests you, um, man, I, I would go read that, but his, his whole kind of claim, this whole idea, we're talking about identity. And so everything I'm about to say centers around this idea that there's this lie that we believe out in the world about ourselves and about our identity. And this lie is that we primarily belong to ourselves. Okay, and, and here's what I mean by that, right? That like no one else can tell us what to do. No one else can tell us how to do it. Uh, but that my life, who I primarily belong to is myself, And uh, to start, we're going to participate in the ancient art of catechesis, uh, which is just this question and answer technique that the church has used for, you know, millennia. Um, And and here's why we do this, right? I I remember being uh, an intern at RUF at Tennessee and a student was like, I don't like the the liturgy and the repetition at church. I don't like the saying all the same things together. It feels rote. I feel robotic. Uh, And I was like, well, here's what's interesting. No Ole Miss fan says, you know, I just don't want to bring my kid to the Grove. I don't want to dress him up in the colors. I don't want to teach him hotty toddy because what if they resent it? What if they don't like it? No, no, no Ole Miss fan says that, right? You, you raise your kids up to love what you love. And so look, the world is constantly catechizing us. It's constantly asking us questions and giving us answers to those questions. And so we need to do the same thing, right? We need to be formed. We need to be shaped. Um, and again, before, I promise we're going to get there, but one of my seminary professors said uh, to never do theology in a crisis. Uh, never do theology in a crisis. And what he means by that is don't wait until life's falling apart to start answering the big questions. Uh, you need to answer those when you're you know, kind of in just a normal spot so that when life does fall apart, you'll know the truth even when it feels impossible to believe it. Okay, so again, we're being catechized all the time. The, the culture of the world around us uh, is constantly training us to answer questions in a certain way, even teaching us to ask certain questions. Uh, and so this catechism in front of you uh, that we're about to read together was written in 1563, uh, but it feels like it could have been written yesterday. Because if you think about it, right, the first question and answer of this whole catechism, this whole thing, is about comfort. Right? And I'm going to be asking you all a lot of questions, and I really need you all to participate. Um, what does it imply about our life and the world that we live in that the first question of this catechism says, what is your only comfort in life and in death? What does that imply about life and the world that we live in? There's suffering. suffering? Yeah, what else? It's hard. Um, look, if the first question is, what is your only comfort in life and death, it means that life's uncomfortable. Right, that like, it's uncomfortable. We need comfort. Um, and so look, let's just, we'll, we'll go ahead and get into it. Um, I'll, I'll ask the question. Uh, y'all read the answer. We'll do it together. Uh, Christian, what is your only comfort in life and in death? That I am not my own, but belong with body and soul, both in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins, with his precious blood, set me free from the power of the devil. 
He also preserves me in such a way that without my not a hair could fall from my head. Indeed, all things must work together for my salvation. By His Holy Spirit, He also assures me of eternal life and makes me heartily willing and ready from now on to live for Him. Okay, so the handout that you have in front of you has way more than what I'm going to be able to get to just because of the nature of this whole thing. I would just want to get through the first two parts of the handout. Part one is just really bad news. Uh, it's going to be really grim for a while. Uh, and then part two is the really good news and, and, and the hope uh, that we have. And so, look, part one, what, what this book that, that, that you know, I'm talking about, you know, it's called You Are, uh, you Are Not Your Own by Alan Noble. What, what he tries to do is, is put his finger on what it feels like uh, to live in the West in 2020, 2022, and why. It's like, what does it feel like to be a human being 2020, 2022, and why? And here's what he, he, here's what he does. Um, he, he, this is how he describes it. Uh, we have a zoo in Memphis, uh, been a couple times. Apparently recently we, we had a giraffe named Jaraffe after John Morant that we traded to Utah. Not Ja, but the, the giraffe. I didn't know that zoos could trade, but they can. And um, when you go, I, I mean, I'm assuming most of y'all have been to a zoo, but when you go to a zoo, when you're looking at the animals, like if they're not sleeping or eating, what do you normally see them doing? Like, if they're not sleeping or eating, what do you normally see them doing? What was that? Oh, oh, yes, pacing. That's exactly it. That's the number one activity for zoo animals when they're not eating or sleeping is they're pacing. Um, you can, next time you go, look, and you'll notice, like, these tracks that they've, you know, like, um, pounded into the, to the ground uh, over time. And so zoo people notice this. They're like, why are they doing this? Why are these animals pacing? Um, and it's this... They, they came up with this term for it. It's in your handout. It's called zoocosis, zoocosis, uh, which is psychosis for zoo animals. And, and what psychosis is, is a severe mental dis disorder in which thought and emotions are so impaired that contact is lost with external reality, that that's happening in zoo animals. And here's why. They live in this environment that looks like it's exactly what they need right? It's got everything that they need. It looks exactly like where they came from. It's made to fit them. It's made to serve them. It's been recreated from nature. And yet something's off and they know it. They think, okay, this world around me, like it looks like what it's supposed to look like and it has everything that I need, but like something's wrong and I know it and it feels off and I don't really know, you know, what to, what to attribute it to. And look, if they're not pacing, they're probably doing this other thing, which is they're, they're being distracted with toys, right? There's like a ball or a rope or something uh, in the pen that's distracting them. And um, maybe you knew this, I did, and it's alarming that uh, even a lot of our zoo animals are on antidepressants, apparently. <laughs> that's like, and again, it's, it's just funny that like, and I hope you see where I'm going with this, <laughs> that like they live in this environment that looks like it should support them, and yet they're pacing and something's off. And the only thing that helps is like medication and distractions. Uh, I have a friend who has a uh, three-year-old nephew and every time this nephew of his gets a toy, no matter what it is, uh, he picks it up and he starts to scroll it. So it could be like a stuffed duck and he'll grab it and he just does this. Because that's, that's what he sees everyone else do all the time. And so again, I hope you see where I'm going. 
we are a lot like this, that like we live our lives primarily distracted. And look, do not hear me say that medication and recreation uh, and, and play are bad things. But if that's all we have to combat this feeling that something is off, that something is not right, that I feel like pacing all the time, you know, I don't know, something's, something's wrong with us, right? So I think, I think we feel the same way, that that's kind of what it feels like. That you, you look around at the world and you're like, okay, I get that like, I'm a human being and I'm supposed to live here and this like, has everything I need, but, but I, don't, I don't feel good. I feel off. Like, I, don't, I don't know why. It doesn't feel like I fit. It doesn't feel like this works. And here's what I want to say is the reason is that we live in a world that's been created by this idea that we primarily belong to ourselves. That only you have the ability to call the shots in your own life. And so if that's the idea that we have about us, we build a world that reflects that idea. And the things that we make actually reinforce that idea. That the world we've built comes from that idea that we belong to ourselves. And then everything that we've made starts to reinforce that idea that we belong to ourselves. Um, can I get someone to read that big quote at the bottom of page one? Would someone want to read that? That may not be the best idea, just because it's maybe quieter. I'll read it. Okay. The milieu in which man lives is no longer his. He must adapt himself as though the world were new to a universe for which he was not created. He was made to go six kilometers an hour and he goes a thousand. He was made to eat when he was hungry and sleep when he was sleepy and instead he obeys a clock. He was made to have contact with living things and he lives in a world of stone. He was created with a certain essential unity and he is fragmented by all the forces of the modern world. I'm not even gonna try to pronounce that guy's name. Um, Look, do not hear me say that the problem is airplanes or that the problem is, is the clock, okay, or the way we tell time. Those things are not necessarily bad. But what they've done, and what we've done, is we've created this world in which it is so easy to believe that we belong to ourselves. And here's a great illustration that someone pointed out to me. Has anyone ever visited Boston before? Can I get a hand raise instead of a head nod? Okay, okay. What are the streets like in Boston? I need your help. Bumpy. Bumpy? Okay, what else? Are they, are they, are they straight lines? No. Why? Boston streets are, are not straight because they were actually built to go around the geography of Boston. Meaning, like, if there's a hill somewhere, they were like, oh, well, you build a road around that hill, right? And so this, it's because Boston's a really old city, and it was built in America before some of these ideas that we're going to talk about really took off. Um, but now when you go out to the West Coast, right, San Francisco, for example, what are the streets like there? They're just grids, right? No matter what the geography looks like, they just imposed this grid on the whole town. And that's why you have streets that go straight up the sides of mountains. And when you stop and think, you're like, this doesn't make any sense. Like, why would we build a road this way? But again, it it stems from this idea that like, well, hey, we don't belong to the land. Like, we belong to us and like whatever we want, we can just go and impose our will on this place. And so even something as simple as like how the roads work in one city versus another show you that over time as these ideas have kind of infiltrated, you know, our world in America, um, is it sinful that the streets are like that? <laughs> no, not necessarily, 
right? But it's, it's a picture of our situation, right? It's a picture of what we believe and how that affects us. And so look, I'm not gonna do all these, but I, I've got this list, right, on your sheet. Um, hold on, I think I, need to, I think I need to go back. Now, we'll just, okay, so skip down to this list, right? Here are some incidents that he, ex, that he says he experienced that made him feel this way. And look, again, I'm not saying that these things are wrong in and of themselves. I just want us to like start learning that like this message and this idea that we belong to ourselves it's just kind of permeated everything, okay? And so airplanes, right? The, the existence of an airplane, what it kind of assumes is that time and space should not confine me, right? That like, if I can be somewhere really quickly, like, why wouldn't I be? And now look, like, I love planes. I've ridden on many planes. It, it's, a, it's a good thing. Um, but it's this idea of like, man, all these limits that we have as human beings are bad, and we need to cast these limits off, right? And we need to be able to do kind of whatever we want, however we want, whenever we want it. Uh, when the telegram got invented, I don't know who asked this, but someone was like, well, okay, now people in Texas and Maine can communicate with each other, but nobody ever asked, like, should they be able to? Like, what, why would they need to? Right? Why does someone in Maine need to know what someone in Texas is doing? And again, like, it's not a, good or a bad thing, but we've done it. And now we can't undo it. And so we live in this world that reinforces this idea that I should be able to communicate as fast as I can. I should be able to communicate things in an instant, right? To get stuff as fast as I want. Look, I love Amazon Prime. I use it all the time. But it reinforces this idea that we should be able to get whatever we want in like two or three days. And here's my question. Are we happier? Do you know what I mean? Like, like, has that fixed us? Right? Are we happier? Um, there's this uh, there's this song by a band called Arcade Fire. They're one of my favorite bands. Uh, they got a song called "We Used to Wait," and he talks about how interesting it was that uh, he used to have to write letters. Right? He's like, I used to write letters. I used to sit down and sign my name, and I used to wait. Right, and so again, all these things that we're talking about, airplanes, I mean, shopping, you know, whatever. As the world gets faster and it seems like things get easier, what does it actually make it harder to do? It makes it, makes it harder to rest. It makes it harder to be still. It makes it harder to wait. And so you actually end up being a more anxious, more nervous person because you live in this world that says, hey, you should be able to have everything you want whenever you want. And you're like, well, when I don't get that, like, it, it hurts, you know? Like, I never sin more than when I'm behind the wheel of a car. And it's because I believe that I belong to myself and that I should be able to get to where I'm going as fast as I can, but I share the road with about a thousand other people who also believe the exact same thing. You, you see? Look, streaming, right? I love it. I pay for them all, Hulu, HBO, whatever. But my actual hobby, what I, what I like to do is I sit and scroll through the entire list of movies on HBO. It takes about 45 minutes to scroll through every single movie on HBO and just look at the titles. And what I will do is I will write down movies that I want to watch later. And then I never go and watch them because I don't have any time. Uh, and then a month goes by and I'm like, well, they probably changed them. So I scroll through again. I see which movies are on HBO that I want to watch and I write them down and I want to watch them later. And so look, it's, is streaming bad? Not necessarily. But like, is society better for that? Like, I don't know, right? Are we happier? Are we, are we more human 
because of this. Um, passing up other options, right? Like the reason that I can't commit to watching a movie is because there's a thousand other ones. Or what if I'm watching the wrong movie? What if there's a better movie out there that I should be watching? Well, and this is why, again, this is a kind of a uniquely Western problem. And when I say the West, I just mean like America and Europe. We look at the East and we see arranged marriages and we're like, that's crazy, right? That's bonkers. Who would ever do that? Because we subscribe to this idea that we belong to ourselves. And I'm not here advocating arranged marriage by any means. But research shows, it's funny you can kind of just say whatever you want after you say that. Research shows, but it's true. Research has shown that, look, in Western marriages where you just kind of pick your partner based on your choice, happiness starts really high. And then over time, it starts to kind of dip. And it may be the streaming problem. It may be like, well, there's a thousand other options. How do I know I got the right one? And so you kind of live your whole life thinking like, maybe I'm missing out on something. And in the East where they arrange marriages, the happiness starts really low. And yet over time, it, it, it grows. And I think it's because they just say, well, there's no other option. This is the person I'm with. And like, I got to live with that. And again, that grades on everything that we love in the West because we think I belong to myself. My identity is my own. It's me. It, it can't be defined by anything outside of me. And so, I, look, I could go through all these things. This is where I need to, like, cut time. I could go through all these things and, and show you why these were built by a society that believes the lie that we belong to ourselves and that these things actually support that lie. Um, but, look, I'm going to, um, well, this isn't on your sheet. I added this today. Look, Christianity is not devoid of this either. And, and here's what I mean by that. Like, it's not like this problem is out there and that the church has it figured out. We do this to ourselves. And here's what I mean. Like the, the invention of the automobile is like pretty recent in human history. When you think about it, it's only been around for like 100 years or something. It's a pretty recent invention. And here's what that does, right? Automobile, self-mobile, self, you know, you don't have to wait on a train anymore. You can go do it yourself. It reinforces this idea, right? You belong to yourself. And so here's the thing. If you don't like a church, you just drive to another one. Right, like before the invention of the automobile, I think you were probably a Presbyterian because that was the church closest to your house. <laughs> you know, and they were like, we're not gonna walk farther to go to the Methodist church, like, you know? And so again, I'm just trying to get y'all to see like, when you get angry at people and people in the church hurt you, it's just easy to leave. You just say, well, I can just go find other people. I've got this thing called a car, right? Like, me and my sister were talking earlier, like, I don't necessarily love the idea of living in my hometown forever. And that idea is possible because of the automobile, right? That like, it's just gotten a lot easier for you to just pick up and move and leave if things get hard. And you know what that does? It creates people who are not very resilient, who that when trouble comes, you just say, well, it's actually just easier for me to pick up and leave. And so you don't end up creating deep relationships and strong bonds or resiliency. You just, I don't know, maybe the next city has what I need, right? Or maybe the next city has what I need. So again, if something challenges us that we don't like, we can just go somewhere else and listen to something else, right? Like if you don't like your pastor, which is true for none of y'all, I mean, Bill's incredible, but you know, if you went to another church and didn't like your pastor, you could just listen to a podcast, right? And so... It's easy to see Jesus and even the church and even Christianity as just another piece of this kind of perfect Southern identity that I've chosen for myself. 
right, that I belong to me, I call the shots in my life, and the life that I want looks like this, and church is part of that. And so I just build it in. I just kind of see it as this de facto part uh, of my life. And so um, I'm going to read this quote under mental health. This is just kind of going along with, again, first part of this is real bad news. <laughs> this is just all, all bad. Um, and I, it's, not by des- or it's kind of by design that I haven't really like gotten to the Bible yet and gotten to the gospel yet. Because um, it's like, man, this stuff is like pretty hopeless uh, on its own, right? So according to the CDC, uh, during 2011 and 2014, 12.7% of persons aged 12 and over uh, took antidepressants in the past month. The widespread use of psychiatric medications led one historian of psychiatry to remark, we've come to a place, at least in the West, where it seems every other person is depressed or on medication. You do have to wonder what that says about our culture. More alarming is the trend of declining life expectancy in America. In November of 2018, the CDC director released a statement that said, tragically, this troubling trend is largely driven by deaths from drug overdose and suicide. And that's wild because we live in a time with the most advanced medicine ever, right? People have, have access to the, to the best. And look, again, hear me say, like, I'm not against medication, but we live in a world where you have to have it sometimes to cope with the world that we live in. Right, And so the problem is kind of this world that we've created that centers around this idea that we belong to ourselves. Right? It's, it's inhuman and it's uncomfortable. But look, again, I'm not trying to say that like all of the modern world is the problem. Like I love microwaves. My 2018 Hyundai Sonata, which I think is the peak of full-size sedans, it has a backup camera. That's pretty great. I love that. That's like a really good thing. But so much of modern society has not made us happier and it's not made us healthier and it's not made us more human because it centers around this idea that assumes that we're at the center of society, that we're at the center of the universe and that no one should interfere with my right to get what I want, when I want it, how I want it, that I belong to me and no one else. And it's created this world that feels impossible to live in because it's been designed by humans and not necessarily designed by God. Or that human beings have created a world for human beings that actually makes it feel impossible to be a human being. Right, because here's the thing, like, again, if your identity, if your existence centers around just doing whatever makes you happy, that changes all the time. Right, what makes you happy changes all the time. And so we're like animals kind of like out on a limb and we know that it's weak and we know that it could break. And so we live anxiously and nervously because all of these things that make us happy, these things that we love, these things that give us life, these things that give us significance, they can all be threatened, right? They're unstable. And so again, this is going to the, to the top of your sheet. My stuff's out of order, I'm sorry. Um, all this, right, is this, this, this big, fat, intelligent word for this is this idea of autonomy, right? Auto meaning self, nomos meaning law, self-law, self-governing. I make the rules, right? We make our own law and we enforce our own laws. And so, look, it's on your sheet. It says, to belong to yourself provides radical freedom, and to belong to God provides righteous restrictions. And I want you to think about it this way. Like, would you want to live in a society with no laws or no restrictions? 
Like, would we want to live in a society with no laws or no restrictions? If, if, the, if the law of the land was like, you do you, just do whatever you want, right? Like, no one likes that idea of living in a society with no laws and with no boundaries, with no restrictions. We need healthy parameters, right? True freedom is not the absence of limits. It's the presence of the right limits. And to be human is to have limits. You have to sleep, right? You have to eat food to stay alive. Like you have these God-given limits as a human being, and that's actually a good thing. And so like, I heard this story one time about this uh, elementary school who had a playground that was next to like a really busy uh, highway, and it had this like really gaudy kind of poorly built chain leak fence uh, around the playground. And I guess like the PTA or the PTO had gotten together and said, hey, this thing is just really ugly and we need to take it down. We need to build like a better fence, a more aesthetically pleasing fence. Um, yeah, I don't know, to recruit more parents or whatever. I don't know. But um, so here's what they did, right? To build a new fence, you have to take down the old fence. And so what do you think happened the day they took the old fence down from around the playground, what do you think happened? Everyone says that. Everyone says a kid ran in the street. It's the opposite. The next day, every kid was huddled at the middle of the playground because they were too afraid to get too close to the dangerous road. Right? Do you see that? That like the presence of the right boundaries actually helped them to enjoy the playground more, not less. And again, that's kind of the heart behind this whole thing is that like God in his, in his gracious goodness has like, he's given you human limitations and he's given you these restrictions and he's given you these laws, not to save you, right? This is not works-based righteousness, this is not legalism, but because he loves you, that he's, that he's trying to protect you, right? And so look, the problem with freedom, right? Even if you, again, we still haven't gotten there yet. Even if you take out God's existence and what Christ has done, all of this stuff, right, the, this, this life where you call all the shots, it doesn't work, right? The problem, look, kind of the mantra of the day, right, is like, you do you, do whatever you want, as long as you what? As long as you don't hurt anybody else, right? Do whatever you want, as long as you don't hurt anybody else. But like, what's, what's the problem with that? What do you think? What's the problem with that? You can hurt yourself. Who gets to define what hurt is? Right, like we have this mantra of like, do whatever you want as long as it doesn't hurt anybody. But like, what does it mean to hurt someone? What does harm actually mean? What does it mean to hurt somebody? How do we define harm, right? And so again, like this is this is this idea of like with radical freedom is going to come problems, right? You've got the problem with freedom. The problem with freedom is that you get the promise of splinters. I grew up in North Alabama, and we lived on this, like, really, the, our backyard was this huge, steep ravine, um, but we had this deck. We had this deck, and it was awful. Uh, I feel like we got splinters once a week on that deck. Um, and, right, how does someone get a splinter? Say it again. Okay, yeah, 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 you run your hand across the wood, but like what, what causes the splinter to happen? It, it's, it's when you run your hand against the grain of the wood, right? And that's what's so interesting, that like wood grows in a certain direction, but that when you run your hand against the grain, you get splinters. And so again, everything that I've been saying, all these, all these pictures, examples, whatever, it, it's trying to drive home this point that like the universe is the same way. 
They're like, we live in a world that was created and designed by God to flow a certain way, to go in a certain direction. And that when we go against it, things happen, right? Splinters happen. And that's just, that's just what sin does. That when we rebel against God, what sin does is it vandalizes shalom, uh, that it ruins peace, okay? And so again, like I used to think when I was y'all's age, um, I still feel like I'm y'all's age. When I, I used to think that like sin was this amusement park, you know? And that God's law was like the fence around it. And I was like, man, like what I really want is on the other side of that fence. That looks so fun. Everybody's having a great time in the amusement park. And just the older I've gotten and the more splinters I've gotten in my own life, the more that I've done things my own way, I've realized, man, like God's law is caution tape around a murder scene. That he's trying to say like, man, I I love you too much to just let you do whatever you want. (laughs) Because if we're being honest, whatever we want is usually not very good um, for ourselves and other people. Um, man, okay, there's just so many things I could say. I know I wasn't gonna get through this, but I gotta, I gotta keep going. Okay, so the origin of autonomy, I think this is on page three of your sheet. Um, look, this is not a new problem, right? I'm, I'm not gonna read the whole passage. It's there for you. Um, but look, this is what happened in the Garden of, Ad, uh, of Eden, right? Adam and Eve, well, this is a great, like, fun little you know, question I love to ask is like, you know, uh, who was the first person yeah, who did this, right? Who was the first person who belonged to themselves, whose identity was, was found in themselves and, and, and not who God was and what he said? Who, who was the first person? Oh, that's good. He's not really a person though. He's an angel. That's different. First human being. Adam, that's right. So many people say Eve, but it's Adam, right? Like he let Satan into the garden. Did y'all know that Adam was charged to protect and keep the garden, to watch it and to keep it? And he failed. He didn't do it. He let a talking snake in. That's not a good thing. Talking snake, you should take that to God and say, what do you want us to do with this thing? Right, they're not supposed to talk. I'm supposed to talk. But Adam lets, this is a fun fact too, watching and keeping what Adam was supposed to do in the garden. um, That's actually exactly what priests are supposed to do in the Old Testament. They're supposed to watch and keep the temple. And it's because the Garden of Eden was a temple because God's presence was there. God lived there. And so again, we could read this whole thing but we won't. But Adam and Eve were the first two people who said, man, like, ah, let's live life on our own terms, right? Let's do whatever we want to do. Let's go our own way. We should be able to call the shots in our life and sin and death enter into the world, right? But here's what's unique, right? In verse nine, after all this stuff, this is where we finally start to get to some good news. After all this stuff, right, sin enters into the world. The first thing God does in Genesis 3, nine is he asks a question, right? He says, where are you? And I love that, that his question could have been, why are you such an idiot? Right, his question could have been like, did you not listen to me? Why do you not trust me? Why didn't you, why didn't you believe me when I told you what to do and not do? But he doesn't ask that, he says, where are you? Meaning, I'm coming after you. I wanna find you. I'm gonna seek you, I'm gonna chase you down, I'm gonna pursue you. Right, that that's, what's God, that's God's response to our autonomy and self-belonging is to track us down and to intervene and to change us, okay? And so look, I I put some other stuff uh, in in your handout that essentially just shows that like this is not a new idea, that this is all throughout scripture, all throughout the Old Testament, right? Right after Adam and Eve sin, you get the first murder, Cain kills Abel, things get so bad, God floods the entire world. Uh, Later you get the judges cycle, Uh, put those in your sheet. 
right? It says, in those days, Israel had no king. All the people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. And in those days, Israel had no king. All the people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. And yet it's always been this way, right? This is, this is not a new problem. This is not just a modern problem. Our problem is that we just love it that we just really like this idea. Yeah, I can do whatever's right in my own eyes. I can create my own identity. I can, I can do all these things. I belong only to myself. And so I put this Ecclesiastes passage in there um, just because look, we're, I'm tempted towards nostalgia, right? They're like, man, like things were so much better 30 years ago. I was a baby. I didn't have to pay bills. Things were great 30 years ago. Um, but like nostalgia's a liar, right? Things weren't that great and like the, all of human history shows is that we've always had this problem of causing pain, causing chaos, ruining peace, because we want to call the shots. We want to belong to ourselves. And so right, Ecclesiastes 1, 9 through 10 says, what has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done, and there is nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it is said, see, this is new. It has been already. So, okay, I've spent way too long uh, just talking about the bad news, <laughs> that we live in this world um, that feels impossible to live in. I kind of described it as like a pair of pants that's either too big or too small, you know? You're like, I can do this. Like, I could go throughout the rest of my day like this, but I don't like it. I'd rather not. And I just feel like that's, that's what I feel a lot of times as like a human being is like, I can live in this world. Like, I can continue to kind of go about life the way that we all do, but it doesn't feel good. I don't really like it. And so what's the solution, right? If, if the big problem is this idea that we belong to ourselves, I get to call all the shots in my life, then the solution is you are not your own, but you belong to God through redemption by Jesus Christ. And so everything I'm going to say, these next four things, and then I'm probably going to just stop, um, all of these things flow from this biblical idea of union with Christ, Okay, every, every, all these four things, marriage, temple, redemption, adoption, they all flow from this idea that if you are a Christian, you know, it's funny that the, the word Christian doesn't even really pop up in the New Testament that much. The main way that it talks about Christians is people who are in Christ, people who are united to Jesus. And so we're going to look at this passage in 1 Corinthians 6 and Ephesians, and we're going to just look at these four things uh, that the Bible says are true about you if you're a Christian. That's actually the antidote uh, to kind of the modern world and how it feels impossible to live in. So let me read 1 Corinthians 6, starting at verse 12. It says, all things are lawful for me. Right, that's, the, that's the mantra of our, of our times, right? All things are lawful for me. And then Paul says, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy both, one and the other. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God, you are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. So right 2,000 years ago, the Holy Spirit through Paul, right, saying a lot of the same things that we want to say, right? All things are lawful for me, right? I can do whatever I want, but that may not be the best thing for us, 
right? And again, before I get into these four things, hopefully briefly, like Paul says these things, if you're a Christian, they are true of you, whether you feel them all the time or not, right? That these four things are true about you, whether you experience them all the time or not. Okay, and so the four pictures that we get, well, the two pictures from 1 Corinthians 6 are marriage and temple, okay? Marriage and temple. Here's why I say marriage. Uh, there's this verse, right, where he says, um, oh, yeah, verse 17, but he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him, right? And this one spirit language sounds a lot like how Genesis describes marriage, that a man and a woman are gonna become one flesh. And so somehow, right, as a believer, you are united to Jesus, that you and him become united to each other. Right, so here's what's great about marriage, right? I'm married uh, to Meredith. And when we got married, everything she had became mine, right? This really awesome black four-door Jeep Wrangler, that became mine, uh, this lake house in Iuka, Mississippi, that's mine now. Uh, and, right, our bank accounts merged, much to her chagrin, because everything I have becomes hers. Student loan debt, uh, wispy back hair, right? She has to deal with these things now. My terrible sense of humor, my 2018 Hyundai Sonata. <laughs> Christianity, the, the pictures that Paul gives us of what it looks like to be a Christian is that you belong to God in Jesus, that that you're married to Jesus, right? In verse 15, it says that what's true about him is gonna be true about you, that God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power, right? When you put your faith and hope and trust in Jesus, right? Not that you just intellectually believe that it's true, but that you say, I need that. Like, I want that. that I need that for myself, right? When you do that, Everything that Jesus has becomes yours. You get his perfect righteousness and everything you have becomes his. He takes your shame, he takes your sin, and takes your guilt. And the only way that we can belong to God is by receiving this from Jesus. Right? It's receiving language. Something outside of you has to define you. Right? You don't belong to yourself. You belong to someone else. And so marriage is one picture. Um, man, I'm so too long-winded. Okay, got to rush through these. Uh, temple, right? Look, when sin entered into the garden, what did God have to do? Right? If, when sin entered into the garden, he had to leave. He said, I'm holy. I can't, I can't be around sin. It's going to hurt you if I'm around you, right? But then what does he do? He gives us the temple. Look, what's the, what's the one book of the Bible that like everybody's, you know, when, when you're doing your year-long reading plan, you really get bogged down in this one and you can't make it through it? It's Leviticus, right? I can do this thing because I don't really hear what y'all are saying where I can just be like, Leviticus, that's correct. As if she said the right answer. I don't know if she did. But like Leviticus is the, is the book that bogs us down the most. And yet Leviticus is this whole idea of, okay, y'all are unholy because of sin and I'm holy because I'm God and I really wanna be close to you and I really wanna dwell with you. And the way that I do that is through tabernacle and through temple, right? Here's how I can be with you. And so Paul uses that same language to explain what the believer's relationship with Jesus is like. And it is so crazy and so incredible that like, I wouldn't believe it if it wasn't in the Bible. In verse 19, he says, look, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, that he has moved into the neighborhood of our souls. 
And it's mysterious and it's beautiful and I don't know how it works, but that's what scripture says is true about you if you're a Christian. That somehow you're so united to Jesus that his Holy Spirit lives in you. And so there's kind of two views of the body, right? In modern society, if you belong to yourself, um, is anybody familiar with Anthony Bourdain? Maybe older people in, in, in the room, yeah. I loved Anthony Bourdain, um, but, but he has this quote, right? Where he says, uh, your body's like an amusement park. He says, your body's an amusement park, right? And think about it. it, God's not real. All this stuff that we're doing on earth doesn't really matter, then yeah, that makes sense. Like just do whatever you want, go have fun. Your body's an amusement park, use it however you want. And yet, right, scripture says that God literally lives inside of you. And like kind of going back to the marriage picture, right? When me and Meredith moved in together, it changed things about how I lived. Right, that now me and Meredith live together and so like I have to change things that I do, right, and that I don't do. I have to start like using real plates and washing them, you know, instead of using paper products all the time. Like I, I had to give up things that interfered with our relationship, that interfered with our intimacy. And so look, you were designed, right? You were designed to have the Holy Spirit live in you that it's like watching Michael Jordan play basketball or that it's like watching a cheetah run that like a Christian is, 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 is what a human being was always supposed to be, right? Someone with the, with the Holy Spirit living inside them. Um, man, okay, I'm just gonna skip redemption. <laughs> it's this idea that you're bought, right? That you're bought with a price. The price is Jesus's blood. And I'm just gonna move to adoption and then we're gonna call it a day. I'll, I'll try to have a little bit of time for questions. I'm sorry, again, trying to cram, you know, a, a four-day seminar into 45 minutes is impossible because you get married to every word you've ever written, right? You're like, no, 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 that's too good. They need to hear that when it's like, probably not. But okay, so look, what, this other picture that we get is adoption, I'm gonna, I'm gonna read the scripture under, under uh, it's from Ephesians 1, starting in verse three. It says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he, bre he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. Let me stop there. Um, like when you get adopted, it is someone who is fatherless who gets brought into a family. Or right, if you think about it, it's someone who only belongs to themselves and then now belongs to a different family, that they get a new last name, right? That they belong to a new family. Who chooses to adopt? Does the orphan get to choose to be adopted? No, right? The parents choose to adopt. God pursues us, right? Genesis 3, 9, where are you? And look, I, I get that like this idea of God being your father and of you belonging to him uh, may not land with you because a lot of us have not had perfect earthly fathers. Uh, but I remember Kurt Cooper telling this story one time. He says, Imagine if the only basketball you'd ever watched was fifth and sixth grade girls basketball church league, right? Imagine if that was the only basketball you'd ever seen and then someone offers you tickets to the NCAA you know, final four tournament and you're like, basketball, I'm good, right? Do, do you see what I'm trying to say? 
even if our idea of earthly fathers and even if our idea of belonging to people is hurt and is wounded and bad, like God is a really good dad. And here's how you can know. Last two things. Like I remember being in college and hearing Brian Sorgan Fry explain the incarnation, this idea that God became a human being in Jesus uh, to come get us, right? To win us, to forgive us of our sins. And he, he told this story uh, about a boy who was adopted at the age of 10. And apparently, right, the older that you are when you get adopted, the harder that that transition could be. And so there were growing pains in order for him to transition into his new family, right, into belonging to this new group. And so this child that they had, this 10-year-old that they adopted, he had these violent outbursts uh, against them, against other people. Uh, he wet the bed a lot. Uh, it was just super hard to be his parent. Uh, he would lash out at them violently. And it got to this point where like, they were afraid. They were like, I don't know if we can live in the same house as him. Like, I fear for my safety. And so they saw counselor after counselor, right? They, 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 you know, it got more and more chaotic. They saw all these different therapists. Um, and they get to this last one, right? And his strategy was, he said, look, when he starts to lash out and he, when he starts to be violent towards y'all, what I want you to do is I want you to grab him and hold him. That no matter no matter how much he screams and tries to break out of your embrace, that you just hold him, you just commit, that you just, that you just stay until it stops. And that as you do that, that attachment will start to happen, right? That he will start to naturally uh, attach to you. Um, they had to move towards him and fully embrace him completely, even when he was kicking and screaming and fighting. And over time it worked. Uh, he ended up graduating like top 10 of his class in high school. He had tons of friends. He had this college scholarship. Uh, and at graduation, he thanked his parents for not giving up on him. And it's just this beautiful picture that like, you've been adopted, right? That you don't belong to yourself and that that's really good news, right? That God in Jesus has adopted you, that in Christ, he has moved towards you before you could even ask for it. And that he's embraced you and said, I'm so committed to you, right? That this is, this is what I'm going to do. And so last thing I'll say, right, as you leave here and you struggle to like really try to belong to God with your life, with your actions, with your thoughts, like if you just look at the cross of Jesus, and if you say, okay, that is who God is, and that is what he is like, and he did that so that he could be with me to win me back, that is someone worth trusting, right? That that is a God worth following, that that's a God worth belonging to, even, even when his commandments seem so counterintuitive and so crazy. Man, okay, I, I gotta stop. We're, we're, we're at time. I, I would love to answer some questions if y'all have any. I'm sure there are about a thousand questions. I mean, you've got like two, two whole pages in your handout that we didn't even get to. Again, uh, there, there's, there's part three, which I wasn't planning to get to. It's just how to live this out. And it's, it's basic stuff. It's, it's the meat and potatoes of Christianity. We repent, right? We take our thoughts captive. We, we participate in the life of the church, um, all this different stuff. And so, man, I don't know. Yeah, I, I would love to open the floor for questions if there are any. Again, I, I feel like I just threw a thousand things at you. Maybe something stuck. I don't, again, if, if you could leave here just thinking, man, okay, how can I discern whether or not like 
that this culture is telling me I primarily belong to myself. Like if you just leave here thinking, okay, that's the message that the world's primarily sending. How can I like unlearn that and, and, and relearn the truth of the gospel uh, that I'm married to Jesus, that I'm adopted by him, that I'm, I'm the temple of the Holy Spirit, then, then I'll, I'll feel like this was successful. But I don't know, any, any, any thoughts, questions, comments, critiques? I probably won't see most of y'all again, so you can, you can feel free to publicly disagree. I don't know. I, I, I was joking with Jeremy that I think the reason I get asked is to make Jer- Jeremy and Bill look really good, right? That like by the end of the night, they're like, man, I'm really glad we got Bill and Jeremy instead of that guy. <laughs> they're pretty great after all. So, Well, look, let me pray. Um, I'd love to hang around if y'all have questions. Again, sorry, this feels like, you know, drinking from a fire hydrant. There's so much stuff in there. But man, let me, let me pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you that you're a good father. Um, that you look at us who, and we're sinful and we're broken and we insist on our own way and we rebel against you and we kick against you and yet in Jesus, you have said, I'm committed to you and I love you, that I'm gonna marry you, I'm gonna redeem you, I'm gonna live inside you and I'm gonna adopt you. And so God, would the truth of the gospel, would the the beauty um, of the cross change us? Would we become people who love to belong to you that our lives would show that and that we might go out into the world and be salt and be light and that other people might look at us and say, man, it looks like this world is, is wearing on them maybe a little bit less. God, we, uh, these are big, bold things that we're asking. Um, these, are, these are miracles, so we need your Holy Spirit. Um, so would you give it to us? It's in Christ's name we pray, amen.